You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mino Lion Media presents Business First. Hi, all, and welcome to a new episode of Business First with Sonia Aline. I am your host, and today I'd like to welcome into our studio Miss Lisa Clark. Lisa, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Sonia. Absolutely. And Lisa is a jewelry designer. Her company is Accents Accessories. And we want to talk about today, we're going to talk about a lot of things, Lisa, but one <laughs> of the things I, I wanted to, to have you talk about is what was your inspiration for even starting a jewelry line? Um, my inspiration was, I, I just had a desire to make jewelry. Um, I loved accessories, but jewelry really spoke to me. Um, and I mentioned it to a hairdresser many moons ago, probably about, I would say about 40 years ago. And, um, she said, Hey, I know this gentleman that, um, he owns a store, he designs jewelry and he has a great collection of African, um, uh, merchandise. And, um, I met up with him and I started making jewelry from there and actually I was doing metalsmithing, brass, brass smithing at the time. That's so he was my mentor and my teacher. And, um, yeah, so that was, it was just a desire to get into accessories and jewelry was the, was the main, my main uh, avenue. And what were you learning? How was he mentoring you? He, um, taught me how to metalsmith. Metalsmith. Right. So he's okay. a metalsmither, um, mostly silver plated and brass earrings, bracelets and rings. And so that's how I started making jewelry. Okay. And so you knew right away, you know, a lot of people may have a desire to make jewelry as a hobby, but you had a desire to have it be a livelihood from the start. Um, actually, no, to be honest with you, I just wanted an outlet for my creativity and I wore a piece that I made. I wore a pin that I made. And I worked in retail at that time. And a woman admired it. And I said, you know what? I think I'll start doing this as a small business on the side of, beside working and going to school at that point in my life. And what were you studying? I was studying at FIT Fashion Design. Okay. So this, this was a natural progression for you. Right, but the thing... Right. But the thing is, initially, I wanted to design clothing. And so I went into clothing design. But I also designed scarves as I was designing the jewelry. Um, and the jewelry tended, the jewelry took off faster than the scarves. Okay. And, and what is it that you loved about the jewelry that, that made it so, was it that, was it that the, the jewelry business moved quickly? But what was it that allowed you to say, I think this is the path I'm going to go and I'm, I'm not really going to focus on clothing design? Um, I think it was, a, it was a easier, it just came easier for me than the fashion design. I mean, fashion design, I still have an eye for it. I just, this jewelry design spoke to my, spoke to my, my soul and spoke to, um, 
spoke to me, just spoke to me, the, just touching the stones and seeing the metals. And it just spoke to me a little stronger than clothing design. So talk to us a little bit about the type of jewelry um, that you design, the types of metals, the stones, the, the pieces that you use to design. Sure. Well, initially, as I mentioned um, before, I started with metalsmithing. And that involved cutting the metal, learning how to um, file it down, learning how to polish it using the polishing um, tools, using the polishing cloths, and um, apply, uh, also uh, applying the hooks and learning how to, um, I guess, drill a hole. So that was my initial foray into a jump into jewelry design. But then just going down the line, just as years passed, I, I always had my beads and, and stones. And so I started, I took a gem course at FIT just to teach myself a little bit more about the stones um, and about gem work. So I segued into using semi-precious stones, which includes rose quartz, chalcedony, which is one of my best sellers, um, turquoise, coral, um, aquamarine, um, what else? Uh, clear quartz, um, smoky quartz. So I just, I started to use more of the stones. Um, also in com combining the stones with the components, or as we call findings in the jewelry business. So I would use brass, I would use silver plated brass. I started to segue into sterling, utilizing sterling silver, gold fill. Um, and those were the metal components that I used to um, combine the pieces to make it into an earring or a bracelet or a ring or a necklace. So those are called fillers or fine findings. All right. And in fact, mm -hmm. I'm glad you said, I was going to ask um, for the audience purposes, the types of, the type of jewelry that you make. And so you do everything, um, all sorts of adornments. So whether it's earrings or bracelets, necklaces, ankle pieces, you do them, you do it all. Right. Um, I would say mm -hmm. from earrings are my best seller. So from earrings, necklaces, bracelets, I'm still a little soft on the rings, but I do make some rings with metal. Um, I'm still learning how to do some techniques with that. Um, anklets and um, some of the necklaces can be worn as belts. When did you know that it was time for you to um, transition? And when I say transition, out of a full-time job and do this full-time? Well, actually I got laid off. I was working for a small jewelry firm and um, they got bought out by Jones Apparel at the time. And um, so as I was in the management level, product development, and of course, you know, people got laid off. And I was one of those people that got laid off. And I was already doing selling uh, part-time uh, consignment, selling to various jewelry stores or various clothing stores. And um, I was selling at markets on the weekend. So I said, you know what, this is a great time for me to jump into it and see if I can do it full time. And um, that was that was the segue into me doing this full time for over 15 years. Lisa, one of the things, you know, because you've done this for 15 years, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was um, how you've been able to do this as a vendor, as a street vendor. Uh, and for you to talk about like that process, like, you know, what was it that made you say, you know what, I think I'm going to to, to try, I'm going to set up a table on the streets of New York City and and sell my jewelry and and see what happens. What was that process like in terms of getting out there and even getting the, the certifications to do that or the pr proper permits to be able to do what you've done as long as you've done it right. successfully? So let's see, when I got laid off, I started, I was already doing markets on the weekend. 
So I continued to do the markets. Um, I expanded the day. So instead of just doing Saturday and give myself Sunday off, I did the full weekend if I could find a market that was open. And I went early on when I went to one of these markets that was new to me, one of my vendor mates at the time. So when you do the markets, the market organizer picks up the, the certifications on the street vending license, et cetera. So you just have to have your tax ID, which I had already, I already had. So one of my vendor mates, she mentioned this market in Soho and I said, Hey, I'm going to check it out. And I think the next weekend I went down and I set up a small table. And at that point, in New York City, you didn't need the vending license, which was only supplied to veterans. Um, you just needed your tax ID, which I had. So from there, um, the city authorities started to crack down on vending and people that did not have a license that was that was a licensed veteran. So just the backstory, the veterans were allowed to get to um, obtain this general vending license so that they can sell on the street or open their own business prior to, after coming back to the war um, or coming back from service. So I started to hire veterans to, in order to do my business. And, and again, cooperating and collaborating, I met several other vendors who we would initially split the table or we would have tables side by side and the veterans would cover both of our tables and we would pay them a salary for the coverage. Um, so I think I answered your question. That's pretty much how we, how I started to segue into doing this full time and doing it on the street, um, on a continuous basis, because I was able to one hire somebody with a license. So that allowed me to sell that allowed me uh, eight foot of eight feet, eight foot table. Um, and, um, you know, I was able to generate enough income to pay him a salary, and generate enough income to take care of myself. Well, and, and that was smart that you thought that that you decided to collaborate with a veteran to be able to um, continue your right. work. What was it like during the day? Like, what was that getting you know to your spot at a particular time and being there throughout the day um, and 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 um, you know working through sales? Like, what was that day like? No day is typical, of course, but the, right. it's always getting, you have to get there early because there are other vendors who want to set up and you, you want, it's almost a street code where, okay, you know, if a vendor, a fellow vendor knows that you're set up in a certain spot, most people would respect that. Um, but it's still what I would prefer to get there early. That way I get my real estate, as they say. Um, but the challenges were one, the weather, of course, um, two, the veteran being running late or not showing up. And then you are nervous to open up without having the veteran because at that point the um, NYPD was allowed to take your merchandise or summon your merchandise or confiscate your merchandise um, or give you a ticket or even arrest you. So on a typical day when they did show up and everything ran smoothly, it's an early start. I would say I would get there about seven o'clock between seven and eight, put my table out. Don't put any merchandise until about nine when the veteran arrives and then I start to set up. And of course, I, at that time, I was, had to deal with also with my car, parking, you know, chance of getting tickets with the car. Um, and then once you set up, it, it actually was almost like in Soho at that time, it was, there were a lot of vet vendors and it was almost like a mini shopping mall in addition to the small boutiques and stores that are in Soho. 
Um, and just, you know, setting up, doing a beautiful display, presenting the jewelry and just, you know, talking up the, talking up the merchandise, you know, and even if, if someone didn't buy, it was just always making that connection with the customer potential client, they would come back and, you know, there were other, there was competition, but sometimes they would come back just because your personality, you had a great price. They really liked the piece, you know, so, um. Yeah, because even setting up in a way, it's like a brick and mortar where people because if you set up in the same spot all the time, then people would look for you in a particular place and you would have like any other sales opportunity. You're saying you're developing relationships with customers as you um, as you go along. Um, How long did you do that? I say 15 years, but it probably was close to. Probably close to 18. Wow. Yeah, close to yeah. 18. But and, then, and mm-hmm. what was your cycle like? So did you, because weather in New York City is, is a concern, were you working all year round? Did you have, did you need breaks, not only because of weather, but because of, you know, creativity resets, vacation? Um, were those all, did you work those things into your work schedule as well? Sure. Um, actually, my the schedule initially we only most of us only worked the weekend, and we made enough to take care of ourselves and support ourselves on that. So initially, I worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and sometimes just Saturday and Sunday. Um, and we did that for a long time. I did that for a long time, and then it became more competitive. So I started to go out during the weekdays. So maybe Thursday through Sunday and give myself two days to reset, regroup, make merchandise, resupply, restock, um, uh, you know, get my creative juices flowing. Um, And then I started to work during the holiday season. So I would say from October through New Year's, I would work every day straight. Um, And of course the weather is a concern. You're selling outside. So I would say if the temperature was above 40, I was there. There was no snow on the ground. I would be there. There have been days where I know that the, the building will, is going to, you know, obviously clean. So I knew if I went later in the day, the spot would be cleaned. Right. So I was able to set, I was able to set up. So, um, um, so I would really work more, I would say, maybe March through December, early January. And then I would take a vacation. Um, there've been, there were years where I took a three months vacation in the Caribbean and there were years I took a month, two months. Um, and in between I would take small trips. Um, but my main vacation was usually February, March, late January, February, and then March, and then come back for April when the season starts to, people are looking for a spring designs or looking at changing over their wardrobe, shopping for clothing, and the spring season starts to open up. Right, and I'm, I'm glad you shared all of that information because I think that sometimes when people think about street vendors, and maybe that's changed a little bit because we've seen how successful um, things like food trucks have have become. But I think that when people think about street vendors, they think about they think that it's a real hustle, that you're really hustling for this money. And it was actually for you, it was a very uh constructive 
and very lucrative way for you to express your your creative interests. Yes, I would agree with that. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, we had I had a lot of repeat customers. It was when it was good and we were busy. It was good. And of course, you have your downtime. Um, But people really supported um, the designers on. I called myself a designer. I'm not a designer slash. But my vending was how I made my money or instead of having a brick and mortar, as you mentioned, I had a table on the street or in various markets throughout the year. And that's how I was able to support myself. But once you get it, you develop a flow, you gain a following and you build Mm -hmm. that clientele. I mean, I've had repeat customers that would come, they would come back and bring their aunts and buy bridal gifts and bridal party gifts and, and just, you know, Christmas gifts. And I've, customers that come every year to buy their gifts for their woman or their husband. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it, when it's, it was good. It was good. Yeah. Um, and then you had, you, you had to stop for a minute. And so if you could talk to us a little bit about what made you have to halt your business. Sure. Um, I was put on pause in 2016, I believe to 2018. 14 to 16, I always forget, but it's a, it was a two year period where I became ill and um, I had to, I enrolled in a clinical trial up at Mount Sinai and um, I was just searching for um, some kind of relief to my condition at the time. And actually I'll share this. It was my eczema became very inflamed and um, the doctors couldn't explain it. So I, I was looking for any option. And um, there was a clinical trial with the biologic that's now on the market. And it unfortunately didn't work for me, but um, I was just looking at diet and I was looking to go to France to bathe in this particular salt water. And I was just looking for so many options. So that was a two-year gap where I couldn't think about doing the business. And at that time, stress and the economy was was going down. So I think it was a combination of everything. So I took the two years off, um, probably a little bit more like four years. And then I started to, as I became healthier, I started to re-engineer my life. And I segued into going into the healthcare industry. Right. And so you still did. So as you were healing, you decided to make jewelry design a side business again as you as you worked for a full-time job. Um, or you looked for a full-time job, I should say. Right. Um, I decided to make the business less of a priority. And um, I was I actually enrolled in um, in a med- uh, certified medical assistant program at LaGuardia mm-hmm. Community College. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I was deciding between edu- entering education, field of education or the field of medical field. Right. And I did uh, I was an HR. I was hired as an HR assistant for a preschool daycare center. And that was only part-time, but I was studying. So I said, let me just wet my feet and see if this could lead to something full-time. But the medical field um, spoke to me and I said, you know what, I'm gonna roll in this program. Um, They had some funding for, there was some funding through the state and I went for it. So I took a, I did a six month course at LaGuardia and um, I've been in the medical field for the last, almost three years now. Right. Which was in, in a sense, perfect timing because it protected you during COVID during these last two years 
where um, you probably wouldn't have done a whole lot of work uh, vending in New York City during that time. Uh, so what do you think that have been some of your, you know, the biggest lessons during this time that you that you got ill through your healing, through your re-entering the, or not re-entering, but entering into the medical field and, and really just changing, pivoting what you were doing? Um, biggest lessons you said. Um, well, I just want to um, digress for a moment though, Sonia. Pre-pandemic, I had applied to this market in Nolita. And this is a hot market. They worked March through December, wanted to get in there. I've been speaking to the market organizer. She says, I know you, you're a real business person. You're trying to get in there. You're not just somebody who wants to come and sell for a weekend and then get out. So I spoke to her up two years, two years, constantly speaking to her. The weekend that I was first setting up in that market, they accepted me. They had a space was the weekend that pandemic hit New York City. Wow. Wow. And so I worked there that weekend and then New York City shut down after that. And then they reopened in July and I went back, but, you know, people weren't coming around. The city was right. still a bit dead. Few tourists we had, but it was nothing compared to what it used to be. So that was. Uh, and, and you're talking about when they reopened in July, it was July 2020? July 2020. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. The city. Yes. So many people had left New York during right. that time. The city was, as you said, it was, it was apt. There was no action happening right. um, on the streets of New York city at all. Right. Um, yes. So, so the work that you had done to prepare to go into the medical field was perfectly timed. Right. And so the biggest lesson for me, and I guess you mean coming, going, re-engineering my career or is that what yeah. you Yeah. Yeah. The biggest lesson was, or is, um, I think I waited too long to, and I had already started to look at other careers. I was thinking about becoming, um, uh, what is it, a sonogram technician. I had started to investigate that career. I wish I had just pursued it earlier on when I was still making or earning a good income from the jewelry. Um, and I had thought about going back to get my master's. So I just pr prolonged it. I procrastinated and I am in a good place now, but I, I wish I'd done this earlier on, um, you know, instead of waiting. Um, and also just to keep, keep my creativity going, just to not give up on it. And I kind of, I just fell out of almost, I want to say fell out of love with it. Um, probably because I had so many concerns with my health and just changing careers and, wondering if I could generate, you know, an income to take care of myself and support myself. So the biggest lesson is don't procrastinate it. Don't procrastinate, get on it right away. <laughs> uh, but, but I also see um, that it, because it all worked out, I, I think what would be a great takeaway as well for our listeners is that not to be afraid to um, make the changes that are necessary. Like sometimes you may need to step away from uh, something that you've you seem to have all your investments in or all your time, all your passion, that it, it's okay to step away and take care of the things that need to be taken care of, or even transition and pivot for a minute. And then, um, because where are we now with, with jewelry? Well, currently I am collaborating and co-oping with um, 
two other designers. And um, I also do pop-up shops with a friend of mine who has a dance studio in Queens. And um, she does pop-up shops once a month, twice a month. So I co-op with her, uh, co-oping co with uh, two other women who are also designers. And um, we set up in various markets, um, mostly right now here in Brooklyn, but we have a few that we might do in the city going down the line, but just a few here in, in Brooklyn so far. And we usually meet on Saturdays and we do those and we're trying to find um, a couple of markets for Sunday. So we have a few that we have lined up and we're going to investigate. And what would you say your goal is for, like, what would be next for Lisa? Is it to transition again? Is it to reinvent herself again? Or are you good where you are right now? No, I um, actually am looking at making a handbag and I just, I put, I developed a sample just to see how it would wear and, you know, see if the print would last and that sort of thing. So it's, I take pictures and I'm a pseudo photographer. I love taking pictures of nature. Mm -hmm. So I have this picture of a monarch butterfly on a pink flower. And that's one of my, one of the pictures that I love the most. So um, I'm going to have that printed on either t-shirts or bags. At least, you know, everybody's carrying a tote bag right now. You reusable tote bags are a hot commodity. So if I can put one of my, my photos on a, tote bag, it might be a good seller. And also I have an inspirational quote, just three words. Um, so, and scarves, I would like to get into scarves uh, again. I may not make them or design them, but I'll probably just buy them. Okay. So you're still evolving as a creative and um, that's what we can expect from, from Lisa as you continue to grow and, and evolve. Right. Definitely evol yeah. evolving. And I want to get back into my metal smithing. I'm so heavily invested in the beading, but metals, as you, you know, that are, are um, trending, as they say right now. So I'd like to get back into the metals, uh, metal smithing and maybe metals combined with my beads or some of my semi-precious stones. So that's what I've been looking into and also learning how to finalize my, my uh, rings, get the ring, make ring making down. So for those listening who are interested in supporting and purchasing your products, your jewelry, where can mm -hmm. we find you? You can find me on Etsy at Accents with a Z, A-C-C-E-N-T-Z, Accessories, designed by Lisa Clark on uh, Etsy. And on IG, it is Accents, A-C-C-E-N-T-Z, and then my initials, L, M as in Michelle, and C as in Clark. Okay. Alrighty. And so, and what can, what can people find there now in terms of, of jewelry and designs? Oh, and I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook page. Um, okay. Right now you can find uh, on, let's say start with IG because I know that's so popular. You can find um, earrings I'm wearing, uh, which are one of my popular designs. All my new designs are there. In addition to um, some of the pop-up information that I've had in the past, you can see um, some of the sites that I've vended at, but you see a selection of, of my jewelry there on okay. all the pages. Okay. Well, thank you, Lisa. We look forward to following you. We look forward to um, hearing about your new interests and your new creative ventures as you continue to grow and evolve. But thank you for coming and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me, Sonia. I appreciate you. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with another great guest. Stay tuned. Take care. 
The Business First Podcast is hosted and produced by Sonia Lee. Associate Producer, Ariel Mancibo. Executive Producer, Ken Johnson. Find The Business First Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on social at business underscore first underscore podcast on IG. The Business First Podcast is a mean old line media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.